Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. All right, Securing Bridges faithful, we're back once again. It is episode 31. I cannot believe I'm even saying those words. 31 episodes. We have had 30 amazing guests, and we are about to launch into the 31st amazing guest. If y'all haven't been checking it out, well, first of all, what's wrong with you? Um, this show's great. Y'all should be like watching every episode. You should be here every week. I've been Okay, I'll stop. But no, seriously, you know that this stuff's available on podcasts. You know that the recordings are out there on the YouTube channel. Be sure to check them out because we've had some really good ones. In fact, if you saw episode 23, in episode 23, I had a guest on here. His name was Ford. And that's all you would tell us. I didn't want any more name than that. Ford was on here. We talked a lot. We talked about a lot of, a lot of really good stuff. But one of the things he mentioned was a story about a newcomer to the cybersecurity space who kind of wowed him with a, a pretty impressive feat. So guess what? My guest this week is that person. It's Josh Nichols. Hey, Josh, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, man, I'm so happy to have you on here. This is awesome. So before we dive into that story, because you know we got to talk about that story. Yeah. Um, just tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, who you are, kind of what you've been doing, you know, how you got here, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a security engineer uh, as my title, my current role, which uh, is to say that I work in the um, a global security operations center. Uh, my background is in IT. Um, after working, um, you know, seven or eight years in fine dining and having my feet killing me and my back killing me every day and uh, my paycheck barely making it to the next one. Um, I put myself through school and uh, started a career in IT on a service desk and uh, worked my way up to here to doing um, some really awesome and fun security work. That's awesome. So see, this is, I love this because it fits so well with so many of the things that we've talked about in the past. Like we've talked about going from baristas to cybersecurity and, you know, and, and, and you're like, you're like right in there with it. So I definitely think we're going to dive into a lot of that. Um, so you actually, you started in tech, not in security. I mean, you were, you said you started a help desk basically. So how did, how did you end up in security? So security was always the goal. Okay. Um, and, and so this was maybe about five or six years ago at this time. Um, everyone on Reddit and the internet said, security is not an entry level position. So you have to start in IT. Uh, now that I'm here in security, I vehemently disagree. We need more entry level folks. I was just gonna uh, say, you, you get to call bullshit on all those people. <laughs> and I will stand here and help you call bullshit on all those people. But but I followed that advice and started on the service desk and worked my way up to sysadmin roles, um, got a master's degree, and then finally landed a, a full-time security role. Which is awesome. 
So, yeah, and I mean, you know, it's it's not an uncommon path that you followed, right? I mean, there's a reason why people say that because that's what they did and that's what they know and and they've hired people like that, right? Like it, it's not uncommon, but yeah, that this whole idea that security is not an entry level job makes no sense to me. Um, largely because at some point you got to get into it and at some point it's going to be all new skills you've never used before. I'm sure that's probably much of what you encountered. Yeah, I think that like there are definitely some technical skills from my past uh, past positions that help me out, no doubt. But you can train those uh, and pretty quickly. Um, and, and I think that we we in the security industry, when we don't bring in entry level people, we don't bring in diverse ideas and opinions, which we're lacking. Well, and that's, and that's the danger, right? Like we get so used to hiring the exact same people who did the exact same things we did. And we say, that's the way to get into security. You must like, I mean, there's, you know, a, a Charlton out there who uh, it was pretty infamous for his claims that you, you have to know programming to, to be in security. And it's like, I know lots of people have never programmed a day in their life and are killing it in security. Yeah. And there's so many security roles that aren't technical at all. Like GRC rules are not really that technical. They require very base level understanding of, of the tech stack. So Frank McGovern, you should be out here listening because here you go. Another person banging the drum that I, 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 I think we need to hear more of. Yeah, GRC. Like we, we so often think too that cybersecurity is like pen testing. Well, there's kind of a little more to it than that, I think. <laughs> so... I mentioned before we had Ford on and he, he talked about you a little bit. It was how we got connected. And I'm glad we finally got you on this show that yeah. that's on me, not, not on Josh. It's all my fault, folks. I was kind of slow in making this happen. But so tell us a little bit about this. And I'm just going to throw out the teaser, fishing a bunch of people through JIRA tickets. Yeah. So when I was brought in, um, to that role. I was their first security hire, first full-time security person uh, embedded on the IT team um, under the IT director. And so there was a lot of kind of like ground up programs that I needed to build. Um, and then also some things that I in inherited. So I inherited their uh, phishing training and prevention program. And those programs have a lot of controversy in this kind of security Twitter space, if you will. Uh, um, because they are, one, they can be kind of problematic. Uh, you know, I've seen phishing emails, simulations that are like, hey, you got a raise, click this link. And then it's actually coming from the security team. And that's just kind of scummy. Um, and then and then there's other ones where they're just like, I don't know, they, they feel out to get you and like there's no real lessons to be learned. Um, and I think the... There's a, a lot of approaches uh, that I, I helped implement there um, and, and uh, hope that the industry can kind of change on. Um, but one of the things is I think that spear phishing is better than um, really kind of like generic phishing emails. Um, and so I crafted a spear phishing um, attack against the IT team and I got everyone on the team. Um, what I did was, uh, and this is, uh, uh, you can steal this and use it against your teams. 
Um, but I, I just copied a Jira, Jira ticket email um, down to including the uh, information of who the IT director was. And, and that's all like open source information. You can even grab the, the, the IT director's LinkedIn picture and drop it into the, the email to look a little bit more authentic. Um, and then I was just crafted like a uh, urgent ticket being assigned to that individual. And they all clicked it. I've, I would have too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love it. So, I mean, it's funny because I, I, I can't prove this. And I haven't seen stats on this, but I would be willing to bet from my own experience that if you looked at organizations and you did a study across, you'd find that IT people are the worst when it comes to clicking on phishing emails. Yeah, I'd be curious to see the, the stats on it too. Um, I think that, uh, I think it's maybe just that they, they think that they are smarter than the average user and that they like, oh, it's okay if I click this because I know what's going to happen. Like, you know, the likelihood of a zero day in my browser, like, you know, this like kind of <laughs> logic and maybe they're right, you know, like, if you think about a phishing email, um, actually clicking on the link isn't that big of a deal. It's what you do after you click on the link. It's yeah. when you download something, when you are at a credential harvesting site, you put in your, your username and password. That's actually like the threat. Clicking on links in an email is, you know, for the most part, uh, fine. Yeah, no, and that is a reality. And I, I think that that's... I've, I've heard that argument before, right? I mean, now there's a few cases where you could argue that even just clicking the link could be awful. It could take you if like there was a zero day in Chrome or, you know, it's a link to download a PDF and it downloads, you know, some, you know, nefarious PDF or something like that, right? I mean, I, you could still argue there's there's those opportunities. But yeah, I've, I've heard people argue that way. And it's, it's a really interesting phenomenon. So I'm curious, how did your IT team react when you did this or when they found out? <laughs> um, you know, they were suspicious of me for the rest of my duration of employment. You know, every, every time I sent them a message on Slack, they were like, is this phishing? <laughs> oh, no. Um, but, uh, you know, I think they, they took it uh, in, in jest. And I, I think that uh, I think it was a good lesson for them in that like everyone is susceptible. Um, you know, I have clicked on phishing emails. Me too. Yeah. It, <laughs> it happens, right? Yeah. And I, I think and my guess is what probably worked for you in this scenario is probably the same thing that works if you're gonna do this right. And that is, it's not so much about, you know, the, the phishing emails being bad or causing issues. What causes issues is how do we react when somebody does click or, you know, how do we use this information? Like if we're going to track and say, well, IT clicks more than anybody else. Well, how do we, you know, when we come back and say, you know, do we sit there and embarrass the IT team in front of everybody? That's probably not such a winning approach, but I mean, so, so what did you guys kind of do at that point? How, what was the, what is the response when an entire IT team clicks on a particular phishing email? Yeah, I think I, I treated it just like I would any other incident in that, like, I made a short presentation. It's like, here's what happened. 
and you know here's here's the events and how they took place and then here's the lessons we learned and i had a discussion with the team on like you know what what could they do to be better to you know not click on phishing links but more importantly like what would have happened if this was real and how can we build that second layer of defense assuming that people are going to click because they do and that's i mean that's a key right like i love that because that that's the answer to you know phishing is you're not going to stop. I, I, I don't think anyway. I think it's a pretty unrealistic goal to think you're going to stop everybody from clicking on every email. Mm -hmm. So how do we use these phishing campaigns to plan those next steps? What does that end up looking like? Yeah. And I, I think from my experience now where I work in a sock and I see hundreds of phishing emails a week, I don't think we even really need to simulate it. You know, like I think we just need to look at real phishing and see how people respond because it's everywhere. Yeah. So, so you impressed Ford with this, <laughs> and that, but what I really like here is it goes back to something you said before, which is this idea of diversity, right? And and bringing in diverse thought. Now, you know, you looked at a situation clearly, you know help desk background jira is something you were probably dealt with before and you obviously something connected in your head to say wait this is a thing that happens out of that tool that i could leverage it would be a really sneaky way to do this you said yourself you would have fallen for it yep and i mean i've i've personally I, weeks ago had a, a you know president of one of our business divisions send me an email that they had gotten that, you know, looked like phishing to them. And sure enough, it was, but I'm like looking at this thing, like, I mean, this was legit phishing, right? And mm -hmm. I'm like, man, I would have potentially fallen for this. I can't say for sure that I would love to say that I wouldn't have, but wow. So, you know, I think again, that's where you're, you coming from a, a different background than maybe some of the other folks might've played into, Hey, I found a new effective way that we can kind of drive some additional education here. Yeah, I, I think that just having um, that that diverse background. I mean, even my background in, in hospitality has has introduced me to to people and socializing in a way that a lot of people who've spent their entire life in tech don't have. Um, and uh, it can be used nefariously. Like if this was a social engineering attack to, to spearfish them. Um, but I think that there's there's other things that uh, you know I kind of brought to the table that um, most people don't talk about in phishing campaigns. Like instead of punishing groups for clicking on things, um, I, I start incentive programs for people that report phishing emails. Um, at, a, at a previous company, I printed a bunch of uh, holographic stickers and just gave those out to the people who reported it. And it's like, congratulations, like you did the right thing. Like security is your friend. We're not here to just like wag our finger at you. Like we're cool guys too sometimes. And sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually kind of want to dig into that a little bit more because this is something that, you know, I, I've, for lack of a better term, preached about. Um, what are some of the things that you were able to pull that like I, I refer to them as core skills or core transferable skills. They're like those, those things that you learn in a job 
that kind of transcend any specific industry, right? And so something that you did in hospitality actually applies to cybersecurity right off. What are some of the things you feel like you learned from working in that space in hospitality that helps you now as a cybersecurity professional? I think the, the biggest impact uh, for me has been how low stress I find cybersecurity because I was a line cook. <laughs> and, you know, being on a line with like 30 tickets on, on your rail and like you're like just really grooving and like stressed and like just trying to be as fast as you possibly can. I've yet to work an incident that was as stressful as my most stressful days as a line cook. And I've worked some serious incidents. You know, I was there for LogForge, uh, so you know, like, it, so that that is a big part of it. And then the other one was, um, you know, I worked at a Forbes five-star resort in Vermont. This cute little like uh, tiny, tiny resort, and I would talk to people who are our guests there, who were executives in finance from Boston. Um, so, you know, I've got a lot of experience and comfort of talking to people who make millions of dollars a year and are, you know, at least believe they're important and sometimes they actually are. And, um, it, kind of having that experience of, of socializing with, with business professionals, professionals um, has, has been a huge benefit in my career. And this is where I wish I could I wish I could connect with more hiring managers because the things you just described are the things you can't just train somebody on, right? Like, I don't care that I've been through a million different communications training programs, right? There is no replacement for actually being there in front of an executive, in front of a director from your board or whomever, you know, there's, there's no replacement for actually having to exercise and learn that skill in real time. Um, the line cook thing is one that really strikes me because the one thing about that stress that I I would expect probably would serve you well and would serve anybody well is that idea in, in the aviation community, they call it uh, task saturation, right? You have so many things going on at once that if you don't in your mind find a systematic way to process it, you're, you're, you're going to fail because you're just going to be overwhelmed and you're going to fall apart. And again, I, that's not something you can train somebody to do. It is something they have to be in an environment where they're forced to do that. So if I've got somebody who can manage that situation, you know, where they feel overwhelmed and they can break it down and respond to it, I can teach them how to use the tools, you know, whether it's, you know, Microsoft Sentinel or, you know, whatever, you know, Splunk or some weird whatever tool. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, do you feel, do you feel like I'm on the right track there or am I completely out of left field? No, I think that, um, you know, especially in the context of instant response, you need to be able to prioritize the tasks that you need to do because when an incident is just starting, there's a hundred things that you need to do. And there's a few of those things that you need to do first. There's a few of those things that you can start, like you can start a Splunk query that's gonna take a while, then do some other things. And, and you also need um, somebody to delegate those tasks. 
Um, you know, in, in a kitchen, um, you've got your saute cook, you've got your garmanger making the salads, and then you've got, uh, you know, someone that's usually the chef up front that's like saying, fire the steak, fire the, this, this uh, salad, and, and all these other things, and like just kind of orchestrating uh, uh, the, the kitchen. Um, and I think that that directly applies to instant response. Um, you, you need to be able to tell other staff members to do different things, know whose skills lie where, um, and ultimately provide a really beautiful wrapped up product to your leadership of this is the incident, this is how we worked it, and this is what we learned. See, I love this. I love this because this is so in line with everything I've been, I've been feeling myself. Um, and it's, and that's the thing. So again, that level of just even being able to see the big picture, I think, you know, in cybersecurity, we, we kind of lose sight of that a lot. And it's easy we get, to get in the weeds. Yeah. Well, cause we're all, you know, so many of us are technical mm -hmm. and we want to, we want to focus on the technical things and we think the technology is the answer, but a lot of times technology isn't the answer to the problem. Yeah, I, I think that technology facilitates the answer, uh, just like how technology facilitates the business. You know, accountants aren't Excel. <laughs> they need it, <laughs> but uh, they, they are more than that, and they, it drives the business. So the business uses technology, and security uses technology, but it isn't just that. No, that's... I, I... That's a really good point. My father's an accountant and yeah, I mean, well, or was, he's retired now, thankfully, but yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, he used different computer programs, spreadsheets were his favorite, but it wasn't even always Excel, but I can remember back in the day when I was a kid and everything he did was written on the, those, those green and white sheets. I can't even think what they call them now, but there's, there's a word for that um, that accountants use. They have all the different columns. It's basically a handwritten spreadsheet, right? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, so it's easy to forget for us, we get so focused on the Excel. Like we, we got to have Excel. We got to do these things in Excel. We got to make Excel do all these things. Well, what if you just did it on paper? Oh, wait, we would still get to the same outcome. So maybe it isn't always the tool that's going to save us. It's mm -hmm. interesting. So you're now what? How many years into security? Uh, I'm about two years. Um, I, I did a, a master's program at Berkeley while I was working in IT. And as soon as I finished that, I got my first security role. So now did you feel like I mean, how, how prepared do you feel that the master's degree set you up for security? I mean, did, that, did it help you land the job? Did it give you something that you're using now? How did, how did that set you up? I mean, I guess I, what I'm kind of digging at is, would you recommend that path to other people? Um, I, so for me personally, I just really love academia. I, I think that like structured learning is really great. It worked well for my brain. Um, and I, I like the, uh, the kind of diversity of classes that I can get out of that. And I love talking to smart people and I get that in college a lot. Um, but for, to kind of more directly answer your question, um, 
it did directly apply to my career. Uh, Berkeley has a lot of programs that uh, were, were technical, but also classes that were like, here's risk management. And here's how you talk to a, a CFO about risk and convince them that cybersecurity needs a budget. And that's, that's huge. Uh, that's that's a really like important class to teach. Um, so yeah, I, I think that uh, at least the program I went through um, was was really good, and I would recommend it. Um, you can definitely definitely get far without a master's degree, though. It's not necessary. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I definitely don't mean to suggest that one has to have one, but it is actually really cool to hear that that is some of the things that are being taught now because I think. Another thing I've noticed is academia, I mean, pretty much as long as I've been in this industry, kind of is like the scapegoat. We always blame the schools for not not preparing people enough and whatever. And, you know, and it's like, well, I, I feel like sometimes the organizations abdicate some of their own responsibility to develop people out to academia. And, and then, you know, we wonder why the people we get don't have, you know, knowledge in the latest, greatest tools that we're using. Well, how the heck is, is a university supposed to keep up with that? And that's not what university is for either. I mean, like technology, each company uses a different tech stack. You can't expect your university to teach that tech stack. Maybe you should teach your own staff on, on that tech stack instead. Um, Universities for those kind of general concepts and, and understanding networking from a thousand feet up or, you know, like understanding um, risk, like I talked about, those things that you can't really learn on the job very easily. And that, yeah, and the, the foundational elements a lot of times, right? Like, I mean, I mean, I, it's whenever I have these conversations, I think about like the CISSP. Right, the much maligned but also really relied upon CISSP. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it, it is very much a generalist, you know, a security certification because most of the materials they're teaching, to your point, are like foundational concepts, those evergreen things that are going to be a part of cybersecurity, you know, for the foreseeable future at least. And those are things that, I, you know, again, back to that earlier discussion, those are kind of like those core skills again, those things that, you know, it doesn't matter what tool you're using, these concepts are going to continue to apply. And, you know, we can, we can give them all sorts of crazy cool names like Zero Trust and XDR. And, well, gee, that all comes back to least privilege. Yep. <laughs> Literally is all Zero Trust is. Yeah. Oh, not oh! I just I just pissed off all the zero trust people. I'm gonna have hate mail tomorrow, telling me how that's not all that it is. I know. Don't save save yourself the keystrokes, folks. But seriously, and so you know, how has that been? As you've kind of explored, have you had like kind of those expectations put on you that like you should know more about like specific tools, or have you felt like you've gotten a, a decent level of development as you've kind of gone along? So I think what, what I did that worked well for me is that I was working while in school the entire time. Um, so I was directly applying what I was learning in school. Uh, I, was, I was with my first IT company was a MSP. So I was working with a lot of different tech stacks. Um, 
so I, I don't feel like I have ever started a job and people expected more out of me than I was able to deliver. Um, it's usually I expect more out of myself than I'm able to deliver, but that's good old imposter syndrome. So I was going to say, get used to that feeling as far as I know, it never goes away. Yeah. So imposter syndrome, you mentioned it, let's go there. Let's, yeah. I mean, what is, what, tell me a little bit just about your experience of it, I guess. Yeah. I think that, um, uh, first off, I, I think that I, I, well, I try to frame imposter syndrome as, as a positive thing because it means that I'm pushing myself to be better than I was yesterday. Uh, and imposter syndrome is just the kind of like growing pains of that. It's uh, it's recognizing that I'm not where I want to be yet. It's hopefully can be a motivating factor. Um, but I, I also look back in, in early stages of my career and I'm like, oh, I actually know a lot. You know, the, the things that I am worried about not knowing and, and, and talking to peers who are way smarter than me and way more talented, um, comparing myself to them is hard and that hurts sometimes. But comparing myself to myself in the past, like I've grown a lot. I, I, I know a lot more than I used to. So. Well, and you even just let it come out there a little bit, too, right? You said people who are way smarter than you. Are they really or are they just more experienced? Right. And, you know, you touched on something I think it's important. You know, I think a lot of times we associate imposter syndrome with the, um, the, the negative impact that it has. Right. And it can. I mean, it, it causes people to shut down. It causes people to avoid opportunities. It causes people to have self-esteem issues. But what you just mentioned that's, I think, really important is that idea. How do you turn it into a motivator? How do you turn it into something recognize that, okay, yeah, I'm feeling this because there's more that I want to learn. Maybe it's not even that you have goals. Cause I mean, I think, you know, you could get into trouble too with imposter syndrome if you set unrealistic expectations for yourself. Yeah. But so being able to acknowledge that that's a sensation that you're going to feel and that it's okay. And then one thing you mentioned that I think is really key is like, having just that, that, that grace to look at yourself and say, wow, you know, maybe I don't know as much as this person who's been in the industry for 50 years, but back when I started, I didn't know half as much as I know now. Yeah. And I think the other important thing is to, to talk to peers. I mean, like everyone I talk to uh, at every level of an organization, beginner to, to CISO, tells me that they're making it up as they go and that they walk into meetings and they feel like an idiot sometimes, uh, but they push through it and, and do fine. And sometimes other people don't notice. So I, I think you could probably relate to that. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> Seriously, the CISO sitting here is like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Uh, I mean, I do and I don't, right? And that's the thing. I mean, there are days, I'll admit, there are days where it's like I do something, I'm like, hell yeah. I do actually know what the hell I'm doing, you know, and you have those moments. And that's the thing I, I, I want people to remember when you're having imposter syndrome too, is you're going to have those days. Cause I have them where I walk in and I'm like, geez, what the hell is going on here? I don't know what to do. I, I I'm not sure I belong in this job. And then the next day I do somewhere. I'm like, damn, that was really freaking slick. How did I come up with that? That was awesome. You know? And, mm -hmm. 
everybody's going to go through that. I'm sure you've got stories like that. Oh, yeah. And I think that um, one of the ways that I, I try to combat imposter syndrome in my, my colleagues um, is one, remind them that we all have it, but also tell stories of, of things that you've broken and messed up, especially when they after they mess something up. Like once once a kind of a junior tech makes a big mistake, immediately tell them a story that you did that like ruined a company for a day or two. Um, it makes them feel better. And like we all have those stories. We all do. That's the thing. So I actually did for a very brief time with a previous employer. We did a couple uh, shows, podcasts like this or live streams or whatever. Because, yeah, everybody, if you've been in tech, you've had that moment. Most likely you did something. Maybe if you somehow luckily enough didn't, you learn from watching somebody else do something. I mean, for me, my favorite story is the time I deleted two and a half million payment records from an electronic bill payment database uh, because, you know, I had issues with comments and things, um, you know, in a query. It happened. It was a PLC equal block. I blew away, you know, billions of dollars worth of payments that then had to be reconstructed and you learn and what you learn not only is how to fix that and how to think on your feet and get through it just to learn that the world doesn't come to an end when it happens yeah yeah absolutely and hopefully you learn some some lessons about integrity and, and owning up to your mistakes immediately because those are the important lessons uh, in those circumstances but oh i think for sure and I, boy this is just lessons for life now but like <laughs> trying to hide it, trying to, you know, cover it up is going to get you in so much more trouble and cause so many more issues than just saying, holy shit, I just, in my case, deleted these rows. What I, I need some help. We get, we have to fix this. I don't know how, you know, like, and I mean, I, I as I'm saying this, I'm thinking of all different places in my life where, where that's like the lesson that people are constantly teaching. Yeah, absolutely. I, and like I said, we all, we've all had these these things. So I, admitting to them immediately gains respect of, of your your leadership and your peers too. And uh, respect and trust is the currency that cybersecurity thrives on in the business. If you don't have respect and trust for your security organization, you're not going to get budget. That's a legit fact. I, I, I'm like going to have to like mark that time in the show and now grab that quote later because that was like, wow, that was like the penultimate right there. Um, but so you mentioned, you know, we were talking, um, obviously we were talking before the show and I know you mentioned this and it's, it's really good coming on the heels of imposter syndrome and that conversation. Um, you know, one of the things I think a lot of people in this industry have a desire to do at some point is to speak at conferences yeah. right and i know you and i were talking earlier that that was something that you're interested in so i'm kind of curious hey just understand what interests you about it like why what what holds that flame for you but b what are you doing about it yeah i mean uh, the reason i want to do it is because I've gained so much from other people just kind of sharing the research and knowledge that they have is that I've 
I want to give back and I think it's fun. Um, I mentor some folks and try to do it in that way. But I think the uh, talking at a conference is the next step. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping to uh, apply to, to speak at uh, the Grand Rapids Security Conference, GERCON, which as I understand is your, your first uh, security conference. Yeah, that was the first one I ever spoke at. And I actually had a really cool moment this past year. I got to do a, a keynote at the conference, which was like, wow, total homecoming. But <laughs> so that's really cool. So what are you what are you kind of working on? And you don't have to like, you know, spoil the secret of what your talk's going to be or anything like that. But I mean, do you even have you come up with a topic or how are you how are you planning that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the hard part and, and kind of like hits me right in the imposter syndrome again. Um, I, I want to present on some security research that I've been doing. Um, I've been kind of investigating and following a, a threat actor and malware uh, family that uh, a, a lot of other people are too. Um, and back to the topic of imposter syndrome is that my research will never be as good as theirs. Part of it is because they have the backing of, you know, Proofpoint and, and other corporations that that encourage and pay for their research. Um, but also, I've been researching this group for a couple months, where they've been researching them for years. Um, so uh, you know, it's it's a little um, scary <laughs> to, to put myself out there on something that I'm not an expert on. So I'm going to call bullshit on yeah. you. <laughs> you remember way back at the beginning of our conversation today, we were talking about that diversity of thought and how hiring people with diverse backgrounds creates better cybersecurity. Yeah. What do you think creates better research? The same thing. And, and you're right. But that doesn't, it doesn't remove the feeling that, that I have. Oh, I know. I know, but I'm throwing your own words in your face because that is going to help you see that you have something to offer. And the important lesson here is for anybody out there that's thinking about getting into, you know, presenting a talk at a conference. If you got research like this, that's amazing. Like, honestly, the minute you said that, I'm like, holy shit, you're way ahead where a lot of people are um, when they do their first talk. A lot of people don't have original research. And that's okay, too, because here's the thing everybody looks at a topic differently, right? I've, I've heard people, you know, who are like afraid to, who, who will tell me they want to do a talk, but, you know, they don't have anything new or different. I'm like, well, you definitely have something different and that's all that matters. And quite honestly, it doesn't have to be a new topic because we're constantly bringing new people in who don't know these topics and we need to teach and we need to keep reiterating things that to someone who's been in the, the industry now for a few years seem maybe foundational or remedial, but to someone coming in, they're not. And that might be something really exciting and different. Now you're talking about, you know, these, these large organizations who are doing research, research into threat actors and whatnot and have all these resources. That doesn't mean they're looking at it the same way you are. And there is very high likelihood that you're going to come in there with something that is a very unique and different perspective on what you've been researching or the way you've conducted that research or anything else, something that's very different. And you never know who that's going to click for. And, and that's, what, that's what I'm hoping for. Um, and I think that 
worst case scenario is that my research is a failure and I can talk about my failures at least, which I think is valuable as well. Uh, I think that uh, learning how to do research uh, and explaining that to others is, is an interesting topic. And that's, and that's a really, really good point. Don't even think of it as a failure, but here's what I learned from trying to do this research. Did I get to the end goal and have some big grandiose discovery? Maybe not, but here's what I learned about trying to do this research. Here's the struggles. Even that, think about how valuable that is to somebody else who wants to do some research. Yeah. So, you know, and along this, these lines, I'll, I'll share, you know, my first talk, the one I did at GERCON years ago, I went in there and I talked about common implementation errors in OAuth 2. Okay. Now, anybody who read the RFC at the time, the RFC talked about the exact things that I talked about. Like none of this was earth shattering. But what did I do? I took what I had seen in a couple pen tests that I had done. And I said, hey, here's where I saw this. Here's what it allowed me to do. Here's how it impacted. Here's how you fix it. Sure, a lot of that was stuff that was in the RFC, but you know what? I still have people come up to me at the end of it and like, thank you for telling me, or thank you for you know doing this. That makes more sense to me now. And now I know how to defend this in my app or I know how to implement OAuth too appropriately or whatever. So there's always that thing. And I think that that's a key moment that you know, you're going to want to embrace. And I think for people watching who are looking to you as, you know, a great example of someone to follow who's trying to get into to doing that, that that's an important lesson to, to realize there. Yeah. And I think it's the one of the, the kind of only paths to get to my career goals uh, is talking about threat research. You know, I, I want to work in threat intelligence uh, and the people that I'm competing against all have military training on intelligence research. I don't. Uh, so I have to teach myself and, and find these resources and just do it and talk about it. And uh, that's how I'm going to get to my goal. I might stumble a little bit, but. Maybe, but that that's how we learn, right? And that that's the thing too. Like, I, if you don't fail at something or if you don't stumble at something, you're not going to learn. I mean, if you could just go out and do everything tomorrow and be the best in the world at it, well, how would you ever learn? Yeah. So my guess is somewhere out there at some of these large threat intel firms, there are some pretty smart people who would see the value in what you bring. So by the way, if any of you are listening right now and you need Josh's contact info, it'll be in the podcast, but you can also like message me. I'll get you connected. <laughs> Thank you. And sorry to Josh's current employer. He's not looking for a job. I'm just selling him out. So <laughs> don't, don't get upset with him. Call me. You can yell at me. Um, so unfortunately, we're running out of time. But this has been actually really great. And I really appreciate you coming on. The last thing I'm going to throw at you, I'm going to throw one question your way, just completely out of the blue. Someone want, You run into somebody on the street tomorrow, asks you, Hey, I want to get into cybersecurity. What is one piece of advice you can give me? What are you going to tell them? Uh, so, you know, I get that question um, on, on Discord and LinkedIn uh, all the time. And uh, the, the, the security answer is it depends. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it, it depends on what their interests are. Do you want to work in governance? Do you want to be on a SOC? Do you want to do pen testing? Um, and each of those answers has a different path to go down. So um, if you don't know the answer, maybe 
study the Security Plus material and see what security is actually like and all the stuff that's out there. Figure out the answer to that question. That's your first step. I like yep. it. Well, very cool. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, unfortunately, once again, we, we've come to that time where I got to wrap things up, but it's been a wonderful conversation. Josh, I really had a great time. I hope you did too. I did. Thank you. Um, and hopefully you all out there, you know, you got some, some really cool pointers here. Um, as always, show will be available on podcasts in a few days. The recording of the live streams available immediately after on most of the major platforms where you might be watching us right now. Um, you know, we, we've got the holidays coming up here, so I'm just a really quick kind of foreshadowing. Uh, next week we will do another episode, but then I think the the following two weeks we will probably go without. So we'll probably make next week the last one of 2022. Just with the holidays, I think it'll be easier. So, um, so look out for the guests next week. Always a great show. Always great guests. Josh, you've been amazing. So, until next time, everybody, take care, and we'll see you later on Securing Bridges. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.